0: What a wonderful crowd. Whoop. Is it on? There we go. What a wonderful crowd we have this morning. If you have been watching television or if you have been reading the newspaper, you probably know that in two days we have a presidential election. And I think that when it comes to reading the newspaper, Mark Twain over a hundred years ago probably hit the nail on the head when he made this comment. He said, if you do not read the newspaper, you're uninformed. And then he said, but if you do read the newspaper, you're probably misinformed. (laughs) And I think that we've witnessed so much of both of those in recent weeks. The Lord has really placed a message on my heart to share with you this morning and as for me and my house we will serve the Lord in any kind of times that come before us and our text this morning is going to be 2 Timothy 3 and as I look at this regardless of the outcome of this election this is going to apply to every one of us in this room and it is also to be an encouraging and hopeful message following Chris's powerful message two weeks ago on the sovereignty of God because the sovereignty of God is our undergirding biblical truth that we must never forget and I used that word encourage a moment ago what does that word really mean to us? It means to strengthen, to put courage in, and to inspire a spirit of confidence. And throughout the Old Testament, we find so often these words be strong and courageous and do not fear. Do not fear. And on Tuesday, we will elect a new president to move into the White House. And this has been the most vicious, corrupt, nasty, and even vulgar campaign in the history of our country. And I know that you would agree with me on that. And I am really ready for it to be over. And let me show you how ready I am. Praise the Lord. Pass the ballot. Let's get this over with. So we can move on with our lives of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be doing it now anyway. And I don't think that any of us could be very happy with the two candidates that the citizens of our country have selected to run. But they are reflections and a sad commentary on the spiritual and moral condition of our country today. And how could we select those two from a population of over 320 million people? I don't know. But God does. And I don't know who's going to win. I know what the polls say. But you know something? I'm not worried about it because God is still in control, He's still on His throne. Right. And let me tell you the definition of worry for the Christian. Worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for us to have. So don't worry. Give it to Him. He's in charge. And you know what? I know that when I wake up this Wednesday morning, November the 9th, that the sun's going to still come up. This church is still going to be here. We're still going with the construction on the children's building they're still gonna serve coffee and breakfast at Cracker Barrel (laughs) and the Chicago Cubs really did win the World Series but I know something else the truth of this book and our Lord Jesus Christ will be the same Wednesday and forever that's where we stand our real hope and the encouragement for us is in the world to come. It's not on election day, but it's on resurrection day. That's our hope and where we go. And I want to share with you this morning why your house is much more important than the White House. Because you see, your house is a house in which you live. With those that you love. Think about that for a moment. And that's so critically important to us. And if you look at it, the White House is only a temporary home, a temporary residence for the president and his, and I guess I need to now say her family. I don't know. But let me tell you something different. Your house. Can be an eternal residence and home for Jesus Christ to be there with you. So this morning we're going to place the White House over here. That's on your left. That's really where it normally belongs. And we're going to place our houses, your house, over here. To look at that contrast of these two homes, you know, it's interesting to look in Scripture how God called families and nations together but particularly families to make a decision of whether or not and how they were going to follow the Lord and if you would before we go to 2 Timothy 3 I want you to turn to Joshua 24 Joshua 24 and I want to read what Joshua as he brought all the tribes of Israel together he said, now therefore fear, that means reverence the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers. Serve beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. For it is, if it is evil, and that means unjust, unreasonable to you, in your eyes to serve the Lord. And then listen. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell, look what he says. But as for you and me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was a choice that Joshua put before the people. The families, the houses of his day. And he was not going to leave it to chance. He knew what he was going to do. And he took a stand and he took the lead and challenged all of the others to follow his example. The example that we set in our home cannot be underestimated. And the power of it cannot be. And it was much like our world today. Because you see, they were having to make a choice. Are we going to serve the living God, the one true God, or are we going to serve the gods of the world? That's a choice. And a choice that we have to make. Each house has to make it. Let me ask you have you ever brought your family together and the major decision that was going to impact how you lived in your house and whom you served? I have on numerous occasions and I never will forget one time after we had moved back here from the University of Tennessee we'd only been back about two years and I was offered a significant advancement at a prestigious university so in our family room and I still remember this to the very day we were discussing and praying where would God have us to go where does he want our house to serve him And our oldest daughter, who had a tough time, 8th grade, of making that move and that transition, looked up at me and she said, Dad, in all due respect, you can move up there, but we're staying here. (laughs) And God led us to that decision. God had a similar situation when we moved from a sister church to here. But the basic foundation was the sovereignty of God, and the basic foundation was for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this, this church family is where he wanted us to be. Now turn to 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to look at our text this morning and really Paul's description of where we are today and how we can live the Christian life in these difficult times. Paul wrote 14 letters and books in the New Testament. 11 of those were to the churches. But he wrote three personal letters. Two to Timothy and one to Titus. Because you see, they were spiritual leaders of the homes and the houses of that day. So Paul wanted to make this a personal letter to Timothy to encourage him on how he could live and how he was to take charge and to lead God's house of Christians at Ephesus in these difficult and perilous times he also wanted to encourage Timothy to stand on the truth and the doctrines and the foundations of this very book and more than that he wanted to warn him that there would be attacks both from within the churches within the teachers and without. Sound familiar? Absolutely it sounds familiar to us. You know, as we will now read Second Timothy 3, it seems as if Paul could have written that particular chapter and really the whole book of Second Timothy to us this morning. It is before us. And it descri- describes the conditions in which we Are now living but it also encourages us have you ever wondered why history repeats itself because as in those times we see them again because the sin for man never changes without Jesus Christ and secondly God never changes and those two are totally different with totally different kinds of settings and principles Now look at verse 1 in 2 Timothy 3. But understand this. That in the last days there will come difficult times. Times of difficulty. Some of your Bibles may read there will become dangerous times. Perilous times. With perilous men. And this is so interesting to see what really Paul was telling Timothy. Because you see he was warning him and he was telling him to fully grasp and to fully comprehend and to understand these times these last days and that is not just a chronological order of times that's the whole messianic or church time from Christ's first arrival on this earth to his second coming And we are living in that particular time today, and as Scripture tells us, we are getting closer and closer to that second return. Well, if I were to ask you this morning to take a piece of paper out and to write down 20 words that describe the people of our country, our nation, and the culture of our nation, what words would you write down? My guess is that you would write down the same words that Paul is going to tell Timothy about and that we find in these next four verses. Look at verses 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self. We see that? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Never have we seen so much verbal, physical, emotional, and domestic abuse than we do today in our world disobedient to their parents. That's the breakdown of the home and family. And that's why the sovereignty of God and the truth of this book will be our only hope to live through any kind of times that we're going to face. And he was describing this to Timothy to drive home to him why it was going to be necessary to keep God's word paramount. He says, ungrateful. We live there now. With all of the kinds of programs that we have of entitlement. Unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without control. And that was really referring to the family here. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people. Wow. Paul gave 20 very graphic earmarks of what Timothy was going to face in those times. And Paul did not use politically correct language. He never did. He told it like it was and like it was going to be here in this passage. And he wanted Timothy to fully grasp it, to understand what he was going to face. And then Paul, in that last little statement, avoid these people. He warned Timothy. And I don't know about you, but God has, on occasion, removed certain people from my life to protect me. And I never will forget when I was president of a and there was a small group. Of high rollers you would call them who tried to get Kathy and me to participate in some of their social events and other things they were doing but we knew the truth of this book and we would not and God removed them and we later saw why because their activities got them in trouble and public disgrace let me tell you something you do not need guilt by association And Paul warns us here, stay away from such people as this. And we're not to run after them. And then look down, skipping some verses here, to verse 10. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. At Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So now we begin to have a change. We begin to see the instruction and the encouragement on how we are to live the Christian life. Because Paul starts out here to Timothy by actually complimenting him on how he had not lived like the others. Because he said, you, however, that means that you're different. You have, not follow, you have not followed false teachers. But what have you followed? you followed my teaching. Teaching means doctrine in the New Testament. The truth of God's word. And every time Paul gave a principle or wrote a letter, doctrine was always first and then followed by application. And that's what he was telling him here. My doctrine, the doctrine of God's truth. My conduct, that's how he lived. That's how he walked. That was his citizenship. My aim in life. That was his purpose in life. Let me tell you something. We are... Our purpose in life is to live a life of purpose. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. And he says, my faith. My faith here refers to my faithfulness. Are you faithful to God's word, to the Christian walk? Because people are going to look in your house. Are you being faithful in difficult times as well as the good times? And he goes on and he lists all of these. There are nine of them. That he lists here. And he shared them. Because you see. Paul was mentoring and discipling young Timothy. Timothy was about 40. Maybe 44 years old. So he was young. And Paul must have also remembered. That Timothy seemed to be a little bit timid. Because he wrote to him. God does not give us. A spirit of timidity. But of power and love. And sound judgment. And that should be a message to us today in itself. And Paul always listed these things in order of doctrine first. And that has to be the same for us. And before you and I can experience and live out the written word we, and, and live the living word out, we have to know the written word the written word I uh, ordered a new expensive complicated Canon camera recently and I was so excited when it came in and I got it out of the box and I was going to go outside and start taking some pictures but I found out That I had to go back and read the manual, read the instructions before I could bring it to life and have it to live out. I had to take the written word of the manual in order to have the living manual work through that camera. It's no different in our lives. And we have to have God's living word lived out by knowing his written word. Paul also was the mentor to Timothy here. You know what a mentor is? It's someone whose hindsight can become your foresight because they've lived life. They've been through all these trials that Paul just had described to Timothy. And Paul here was giving Timothy his own personal example Of these things that we've read as well as the persecution and suffering which he endured. But you see what happened? God rescued him. God rescued him. Jesus is the ultimate example of the trials, the suffering, the persecution. But he's also the perfect example of the resurrection and the rescue by God the Father. And that's what's available to us. Because God always protects and delivers his people. We may well be, as we enter into these latter days, God's remnant on this earth. I really believe that we are. And Paul did state that we too are going to be persecuted if we live a godly life in Jesus Christ. He didn't say a nominal life. He didn't say a worldly Christian life. He said a godly life. Now we probably are not going to be thrown in jail we're probably not going to be beaten but we may be looked over for a promotion we may be made fun of when we stand up for this book in god's word we see it today in every walk of life how do you avoid it you really can't except one way and that's not to live a godly life the great pastor of houston baptist church john bassano said years ago if you want to avoid criticism then say nothing be nothing and do nothing and I am reminded of an old statement that says a dead fish can float downstream but it takes a live one to swim against the current and as Christians in our world today I promise you we are swimming against the current. We give our kids very important and expensive swimming lessons so that they will not drown in the currents of the water around them. But Let me tell you this morning, we need to give our children and grandchildren Bible lessons so that they can swim and live and thrive in the currents of the culture In which we live today you know what that's our Home Depot project it really is and God has given us the construction manual right here that's the construction manual and he's given us the tools and all of the materials that we need to complete this job look at verse 13 while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived well Paul knew what that verse meant as well as the preceding verses because you see Paul was an eyewitness to uh, or Timothy was an eyewitness to what Paul had gone through he was with him on many of the missionary trips so he was an eyewitness to what all was being described Let me tell you something this morning. You have eyewitnesses in your own home. Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, and the guests that come into your home. They're eyewitnesses. And they're eyewitnesses to how you live your Christian life and stand on the doctrine of this book. Last week, my son-in-law and two grandsons who are here this morning, We went up to our house in the hill country to repair some deer blinds and put corn in the deer feeders. Well, the two grandsons and I went off to repair and to put carpet down in those deer blinds. And in that process, I hit my thumb, you can see the black mark, with a hammer. And oh, did it hurt. And my two grandsons were there watching. And I'm sure they were wondering... Is Papa going to get mad and throw that hammer across the pasture and holler a word he shouldn't say? Thank God for his Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because it kept me from taking an action that I wanted to do and saying more than one word that I shouldn't say. You never know who's looking. Then look at verses 14 and 15. Where Paul tells Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue. That's a present tense word. And it means keep on continuing in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And look at this benefit. Which are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh my. What do we see here? Well, Paul has given us a lot more instruction and encouragement. And that we are to continue in God's word from the right teachers. And I assure you that we are not to follow false teaching and false teachers. Many people follow a teacher rather than the one teacher in the one book. And he was complimenting uh, uh, Timothy that he had followed the right doctrine, the right teachers. And most of it was referring right back to Paul himself. You see, Timothy, though, and this is so important, and I applaud Paul for pointing this out because there's a deep message for every one of us. He said here that you have been acquainted with the sacred writings since what? Childhood. Paul pointed this out because Timothy had been taught God's word by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. That meant that there were three generations of Christians, of believers. How many do you have in your home? I can count five in mine. I can count five in mine. I can see now all the way to my grandchildren. And I can look back to my own grandparents. Well, it's interesting here what he said about those scriptures and their importance. He said, it makes you wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's no different today. Let me tell you, this is the good news that never becomes old news. And it's as relevant today as it was when it was written. And this is a key verse here because you see it encourages us, it encourages us every day I think to be faithful to teach God's word to our children and our grandchildren. Start young and never stop. And I can remember so many times in my den of having one of my grandchildren sitting in in my lap with a children's Bible. They couldn't read yet most of the time, but they could see the pictures. And reading to them God's Word in the simple primary form in which it was written in those children's books. You grandparents, you buy children's Bibles for your grandchildren. As they get to be a youth Buy them a youth Bible. My wife is very good at not letting it go to waste. Because to our children and to our grandchildren... And thank goodness for text. It can be a bad thing, but it can be a good thing. She will text them verses of Scripture for them to claim and to promise and to build into their hearts and lives when they're going through certain things. And she does this multiple times a week. So don't let it stop. Keep on sharing God's Word. Start young. Children's Bibles today are phenomenal. Let me tell you what we need to do when they come to visit you, when you have little ones, turn off that television, shut down the video games and pick up God's Word and read to them and look through it and build it into their hearts and lives. Well, it's a little bit like, if you think about it, putting a new operating system or a new software program on the hard drive of a new computer. Think about that for a moment because that's what you're doing. That's the hard drive of their heart and their mind. So we're putting the operating system from God's word before corrupt systems can get in there and while there's still room for additional storage. This book is the firewall of protection from the enemy's viruses of getting in and destroying a life. That's why this is so important. And it's also so important for all those little kids you saw up here singing their hearts out for Jesus. Because you see, over 90% accept Christ before they're 18. That's why I'm driving this home today because it's critically important for us. We live in an academic community and there's several thousand PhDs here. And they have a PhD in all kinds of disciplines from history to math to science to chemistry to engineering you name it and students come in order to learn from that person who has great knowledge and has probably written about that discipline in order to impart that kind of knowledge to them I want to tell you this morning every one of you needs to be the PhD in your home and in my home they say well, I thought that stood for Doctor of Philosophy. No, it stands for Perpetuate Healthy Doctrine, Ph.D. That's the doctrine of this book that we impart to those that we lead. And then look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That means that it is inspired by God. It doesn't say the Scriptures that are. Because that would leave some doubt in here. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for four things. For teaching, for reproof, for uh, correction, and for training in righteousness. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all of scripture. For the times in which we live too. Because you see it shows us how God's Word, Jesus Christ living in our heart and the Holy Spirit helping us to interpret it can live in the world in which we live and survive these difficult times. And there are four important principles here that are profitable. And that word profitable means beneficial. Teaching, that's simple. That's the doctrinal truths of this book. That's the first one. And notice again, That it's God's Word, Doctrine, Truth first. And then it says for reproof, for reproof. And the idea here is to rebuke or censor or make us aware when we are straying off the straight and narrow course. And in biblical times it was looked at as kind of the plumb line where you'd have a a string and a weight on the bottom to hold it up to see if things were straight. I play golf with four guys in this church one of them almost invariably on every green and he puts really well will hold his putter up just like that plumb line would be to see the slope the straightness of that green that's not Chris he didn't hold his up he just throws him (laughs) and then he says correction and that refers to restoration to the original and proper condition that's important to us because we can be restored when we strayed away and then he ends it by saying training in righteousness and that's like bringing up or instructing a child with proper discipline and that proper discipline comes from this book and then look at verse 17 why is all scripture that kind of profitable It says that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And it tells us that this is our manual of life. This is our manual that tells us the sovereignty of God and how much he loves us and how much he wants us to be able to be complete and equipped and to handle whatever may come and whatever may face us. And that we will be equipped to lead our own houses. And those that live in it. So I ask you this morning a question. Who do you trust in these difficult and dangerous times in which we live? Is it who lives over here in the White House? Or is it who lives over here with you in your house? There's a choice. And there's another question that is begged here. And it's this. Does Jesus Christ live as the priority in your house? I don't know of any other way to survive the times that we face. And only one of those can be eternal. That one's not. It's going to pass away. And I close with the middle verse in all of God's word. Because it's applicable to us and it tells us where we're to go from here and which house to trust. It's Psalms 118.8. There are hundreds of verses before it, and there are hundreds of verses behind it. But it's the middle verse, and it says this. It is better to take refuge or trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. The very next verse, 118.19, says... It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Well, a prince lives in the White House. That's a title. It doesn't look like at times that they are princes, I'll tell you that. But that's the middle verse here in the scripture. So it's really decision time for all of us in our houses. Like it was for Joshua in his day. Can you say this morning, as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's more than just saying it. People from Israel told Joshua they would, but they fought, fell back. They didn't uphold it. It's doing it. And faithfully continue to do it, even in difficult times. So, if Jesus does not live in your house, I can think of no better time than to invite him in to your house before the times become more difficult and the door is shut. Pray with me. Father, your word is something that we cannot even comprehend the fullness of. The doctrine that you want to build into our life, the truths, that will be the only way that through it and your Holy Spirit and Jesus living in us to live life. Thank you for giving us this book. Oh, Father, I love it, and I thank you for it. And may it have the priority place in our own hearts and lives and our houses. We give this invitation time to you now in Jesus' name. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, if you need a church home, if Jesus Christ doesn't live in your home, if Jesus Christ doesn't live in your life, staff is here. They're ready to pray with you and to lead you. But if God lays upon your heart a decision that you need to make this morning, you come. And make that decision that as far as you personally, because it was plural, and your house will serve the Lord.